This is episode number 634 with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Jim Rohn said, take care of your body. It's the only place you have to live. We only get one body, one life and one body. And if we aren't taking care of it holistically on every aspect of the body, in terms of how we can optimize our physical health, mental, emotional health, our stress levels, getting enough sleep, eating the right foods, if we're not constantly being mindful of these things then we are going to be destructive in our body. And it's going to affect our performance and our relationships, our life, our finance. All these areas of our life are going to be affected if we don't have our health. And Dr. Rangan Chatterjee is regarded as one of the most influential doctors in the UK and wants to change how medicine will be practiced in years to come. He is known for finding the root cause of people's problems. And he highlighted his methods in the groundbreaking BBC television show, doctor in the house, which has been shown in over 70 countries around the world. He is the author of the international bestseller, The Four Pillar Plan, which already became one of the top 10 selling health titles in the past five years. And he hosts the podcast, Feel Better, Live More. And it's also featured on BBC News channels. He's done TED Talks. This guy's all over the place. And what we talk about today are how chronic disease is actually an illusion So if you think you have chronic disease, it's actually an illusion. And what the root cause of most chronic disease actually is, why relaxing is the first pillar of good health and why so many of us are never relaxed. And you'll see what I'm talking about here in a second. Also, how to use technology in a way that empowers us instead of enslaves us and what the key indicator is of how well, you will age. My friends, you will love this one. Make sure to share it with your friends, lewishouse.com slash 634. Take a screenshot on your phone right now and tag me on Instagram and let me know what you're thinking along the way. We've got a big shout out for the fan of the week. This is from Luke Bloomquist, who said, School of Greatness has quickly become a regular must-listen podcast for me. The guest topics and content is absolutely high quality, and I love that the podcast not only entertains but enlightens. Absolute top-notch stuff. Thank you so much. If you're not listening, you're missing out. So that's right. If this is your first episode here, make sure to subscribe right now. Leave us a review. Let me know what you think for your chance to be shouted out as the fan of the week. Remember the Thai Cave Rescue? What about the mission depicted in Black Hawk Down or the epic rescue shown in Captain Phillips? You've probably heard of all of these, but did you know that the U.S. Air Force Special Warfare played a pivotal role in all of them? These airmen are the most highly trained warriors on the planet. Other forces like the SEALs and Army Rangers call on them to provide skills no one else can. Not many people make the cut. If you think you can, visit AirForce.com to learn more. 
If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right, cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And there are no fees, period. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. So many of us love coffee, like the living for it type of love. Some like it hot, some like it iced with a splash of creamer, and some like it with a cold foam topping. Many of us stop into coffee shops on our way to work more often than we'd like to admit. But now, thanks to International Delight Cold Foam Creamer, you can make cold foam coffee at home, or in my team's case, in the office, and it's a game changer. I was just chatting with a teammate of mine about our love for the occasional sweet treat coffee. Sometimes, it's just the thing you need as a pick-me-up on a business day and we just stocked our office fridge with international delight cold foam creamer and it never misses the team's favorite flavor so far is the caramel macchiato you just shake the canister and spray it into your coffee and voila you've got an incredible cold foam coffee no frothing fancy machines or mess required international delight cold foam creamer foams and creams your coffee from top to bottom the best part it works on both hot and iced coffee it comes in three foaming delicious flavors flavors, French vanilla, sweet and creamy, and caramel macchiato. So you can switch things up depending on your mood. Look for your favorite flavor next time you're at your grocery store and be prepared to say goodbye to your barista. International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. It's foaming delicious. All right, let's get into this one. I'm super excited. It's all about how do we reverse disease and reclaim your health with the one, the only Dr. Rangan Chatterjee. Welcome, everyone, to the School of Greatness podcast. We've got Dr. Rangan Chatterjee in the house. Good to see you, my friend. Thanks for having me, Lewis. Nice to meet you today. You've had a, a big success in the UK and all over the world with a show that you have called Doctor in the House, which I've never seen, but I hear is incredible. And you actually move in with people for four to six weeks to help them transform their lifestyles. Yeah. Right? Well, transform their health. Whatever their health problem is, I'm there to help them. Yeah. Um, but... As you say, Lewis, the, the majority of the time, it is a lifestyle issue. Yeah. It's mostly changing their emotions, their habits, their routines. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, absolutely. But I'm, I'm not putting blame on people. I just want to make that really clear. I'm not saying that people are doing it to themselves. Right? I think everyone genuinely, I think everyone's trying to be as healthy as they can. Right. Within the context of their own life, within you know, their job patterns and their, their beliefs and things. And I always start out with that, that who wants to be overweight? Right? Who wants to feel tired? I don't no think one. anyone does. No one. Right? So I start with that premise that everyone wants to be the best they can, and then I kind of try and figure out what is the obstacle there? Why are people not the best they can be? Yeah, absolutely. Why is that? Why do you think we allow ourselves to go down and gain 100 pounds or attract disease or feel low energy? Why do we allow ourselves to do that? I don't think we're necessarily consciously allowing ourselves to do that. I think there's two factors to me. The first factor is knowledge is important, right? I think we have overcomplicated health in a huge way. And I think when we can simplify the messages to people, I think we've got a shot. But I don't think that's everything. I think there's a lot of emotional baggage that many of us carry, which we use you know, sugar or food or our lifestyle choices, whether it's we stay up late and we, we binge on Netflix and we don't go to sleep, right, to compensate for 
other things in our life. And I don't think I've really, you know, I've been practicing now for, for 17 years. I've been seeing patients for, I don't think I've really got this maybe six, seven years ago. I really don't. I think mm. as I get more experienced in my own life as a father, as a husband, you know, as, as a more experienced doctor, you kind of learn more things. You kind of go, it's not that simple, actually. You know, it's not quite as straightforward as giving people the information. You've got to inspire them. You've got to connect in a way that it means something to them. And, you know, a lot of doctors say that actually patients don't do what we tell them to do, right? I don't buy it. And the reason I don't buy it is everybody wants to feel as good as they can, yeah. right? My job is, and the job of any healthcare professional, and you can expand it out beyond healthcare, right? Is can you communicate effectively with the person in front of you? Can you do it in a way that it resonates, like deeply resonates? Because when you do that, right, people want to make the change. Mm-hmm. I, I genuinely believe that. When you, you know, just tell people you need to do this, you just need to do these things and you'll get better, it's not as important as, you know what? Your son who's six right now is really depending on you to be healthy. Yeah. And this is going to help you live a longer life so you can see him go to school and marry someone and, and see your grandkids having more meaning behind it. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and something's just come into my head. that The very first day ever that I filmed the show Doctor in the House, right, I was probably a bit nervous. There's a camera on me and I'm like, I know this is going to go out on prime time. And... There was a family there, a few weight issues in the family, and I diagnosed the lady with type 2 diabetes on the first day. She didn't know she had it. And on the very first day, I said to them, hey, guys, look, what would you usually eat? Okay? I remember the guy said to me, he's, well, he turned around, he said to the family, hey, guys, what are you having, just the usual? They said, yeah, just the usual, please, Dad. He goes, come on, Doc, come with me. So I went in his car with him. We drive 15 minutes out of town to a drive through McDonald's, he spends about $60, $65 there on, you know, just for four people. Right. That's not the interesting part. The interesting part is that on the way there, he turned around to me and said, hey, Doc, you know, this is really embarrassing, actually. You know, um, I know this stuff isn't good for us, but we do this five nights a week. Why? Because it feels good? Like it, it, the idea of it is feels good or it's comfort food or I, I, tastes good? If I want to say this, at the time, I don't think I, I knew at the time, I just thought, okay, that's interesting. And I, that would just mull over in my head. And I, I kind of would could try and figure out, they know that this is not good for them. They've got weight problems. They're not feeling very good. You know, wanna, you know thinking about maybe moving jobs because they can't really perform the way they want to perform. Uh, this chap had uh, lost his job as a fireman. And he used to be really proud to be a fireman. He wanted to get back into active service. Yet he was still doing this. And, and it's, it's emotional. It wasn't just information. Information was important, right? And yes, I did educate them. Right. But they knew that it wasn't good for them. Exactly. Right. Right? And then we, you know, you look around, you look around, certainly, particularly in this country, right? You see it all around the world, but the amount of people who are struggling with their health, right? It's not just as simple as saying, you got to do better. I honestly don't think it is because I used to think it is. But you got to tap into it. Once people have got that respect for themselves that, and that understanding of what their meaning is, what their purpose is, I find that they do start making those changes. You, know, you can call me an eternal optimist if you want, but I really do believe that. Yeah. You say that disease is an illusion. Why is that? The reason I think disease is an illusion is basically the way we think about disease, right? 
whether we're talking about type 2 diabetes, whether we're talking about depression or whatever chronic disease you want to talk about, I think there's a, there's a perception in society that it's a thing. Once you cross that threshold, once you've met the criteria for the diagnosis, you've now got this thing, you've got this label, right? And I didn't realize till a few years ago, actually, that, you know, let's take depression, for example, right? Depression is the name that we give to a collection of symptoms, right? There's, right. A, there's no blood test that says, oh, you now have depression, you don't, right? I'm not trivializing this. This is a serious problem, right? In the UK, right? One in four people are gonna get a mental health problem in really? any given year. Think about that for a minute. 25% of the population. Why? Why does it? So Why? And this is the point of all my work, right? Is that collectively, the way that we are living our modern lifestyles is having a negative impact on the way that many of us are feeling. Mm -hmm. For me, it's that simple, right? It's not about blame. It's not about saying you are doing this to yourself. It's about this whole mismatch between the way that modern Western society is set up now compared to our genetic and our evolutionary heritage. Being just, in nature. Being in nature. Yeah, it's yeah. healing and therapeutic. And I just went to Hawaii for four and a half days and left my phone in LA and my computer here and had zero connection to a device. And you're, it's amazing how the body heals so quickly from any stress or tightness or tension or overwhelm or depression feeling or whatever it may be, you start to heal naturally. Yeah, absolutely. And if we literally just said, you know, one day a week we're not going to be on our phone, or one night a week we're not going to be on our phone, we're going to be in nature, I think our health would drastically improve. Lewis, one of the chapters in my book is literally called that, The Screen-Free Sabbath. Embrace one day a week. Really? You know, for one, one day a week, try and go off your screens completely. Yeah. But then I'm also a realist, and I say, right. hey, look, if one day sounds too scary, do an evening. Do an evening. Start with one hour. Don't have it on during lunch or dinner. Don't take your phone out when you're yeah, eating. Yeah, that's a rule in my family. In my house, there's no phones or electronics around the table when we're eating. Yeah. Yeah. It winds me up. You know, you say that in February this year, I had just been traveling around the country doing a lot of speaking gigs. I've been sort of promoting my book in the UK, right? And I was feeling burnt out. Yeah. And I remember phoning my wife and I said, babe, I need a holiday, right? I don't care where we go. I just want to, I want heat, I want relaxation. <laughs> and we booked a last minute holiday to uh, Dubai. And I went with my two young kids and my wife and I got to the hotel, right? I know where to fly. My laptop and my phone went in the hotel safe mm. and it stayed there all week. That's great. And it's a different experience. You know, I was connecting. I don't think we realized the, the, the noise that this creates in our mind in every single day. Yeah. Just how many times we look at them, just the studies now showing that if we were communicating now and we had our smartphones on the table there, we would have a less meaningful conversation. Right. Just from having it there, even if it wasn't Being aware of it, I wonder. Just being aware, you know, what's going on there? You know, how, am I missing yeah. an email? Is something so coming in? Like a buzz or a like at a flash. Yeah, a patient story that I talk about in my book, but it, I think, can I share it with you? It's uh, this is a few years back, right? And this is before I'd had the kind of personal experiences with my own family and my son that forced me to confront some uh, realities about my medical training. And I was in a busy Monday afternoon, what we call a surgery, right? I had lots, I had three or four patients waiting outside. Mm -hmm. 
You were, you were doing surgeries I, or? I used to be trained as a specialist. I was doing kidney medicine. Yeah. But I was getting very frustrated about how specialized we're becoming in medicine. And I kind of feel sometimes we miss the big picture. Yeah. So I the changed. holistic approach as opposed to just treating the symptom, you got to yeah. treat the whole, right? You got to treat the whole. And we are missing that in medicine. If you just uh, treat one area, it's not going to, it's still going to come back. It's still going to come back. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what my whole approach is about is looking at this 360 degree approach to health, right? But some of this is intuitive, right? So it, it was in this clinic. Let's call it a clinic, right? It was yeah. busy, busy Monday afternoon clinic. I'm already running behind. And this 16-year-old boy called Devon walks in through the door with his mother. And I see the letter that's there on the file. And basically, on the Saturday, this guy had tried to harm himself, tried to cut his wrists. Mm. He ended up in the ER. Right. And he was evaluated there and... Basically, they had discharged him. They thought he was safe to discharge, but there was a letter to say, you know, come and see Dr. Chastity, and can I please start an antidepressant for him? So he was there to pick up his prescription. And now, you were supposed to give them to him. I was supposed to give it to him, right? That would have been the easiest thing in the world to do, right? I would have, would have taken a few minutes. I would have been running on time. I'd get back to my next patient, and I could keep going on the kind of treadmill of my day, right? But I thought, wait a minute. You know, I know this family. They seem pretty well well balanced. I've never picked anything up before that there's an issue here. Why would a 16-year-old boy from a seemingly well-rounded, well-balanced family end up in ER? I got to know more, right? So I, I spent a bit of time. I tried to figure out what was going on. I couldn't quite get to the bottom of it. And I said, hey, guys, look, would you mind coming back tomorrow at the end of my morning clinic and I'll spend a bit longer with you? Hmm. I said, okay. So they came back the next day, right? It was a Tuesday morning, end, end of the clinic. And we spent about 15, 20 minutes chatting. And I thought, I, I think your use of social media in my head might be negatively impacting your mental health, right? Did I have a study to prove it? No. Right? But I thought, I said to him, I said, Devin, look, I think the way you're using social media, right, might be contributing. I didn't say it was the cause, right? I said, it might be a factor. Are you interested in reducing that? He goes, well, don't, do, you, do you want to think it's going to help? I said, Devin, look, I can commit to you that I'm going to try and help you, Right? but shall we give it a try? So I said to him, you know, we come up with this deal and for one hour in the morning, he gets up and he doesn't go on his phone, right? He comes about seven days later and I say, hey, Devin, how are you doing? Now he said, hey, dog, you know, I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm still not great, but I feel less up and down in the day. I'm sleeping better. Don't get me wrong, right? He wasn't suddenly cured, right? I'm not saying that, but he was starting to show a sign of improvement. I said, Devin, can we extend that out a little bit? He goes, all right. So we move it up over the next few weeks to two hours in the morning and two hours in the evening before bed where he doesn't go on his smartphone, right? And he keeps coming back and he's consistently starting to improve bit by bit. I think, okay, this is interesting. Hmm. Again, I didn't have any training for this, right? I was just trying, to, just trying to figure it out, how to kind of help this guy. I was also then doing a bit of reading, right? And I was reading about how our diets can, in fact, can, can impact our mental health. So he comes in and I say, hey, Devin, what are you eating? And he, yeah, typical... Candy, McDonald's. Yeah, typical teenager, right? 16-year-old, yeah. processed junk food. And I drew him a little picture. I said, hey, Devin, did you know that actually when your blood sugar is going up and down throughout the day because of what you're eating, that's not just a blood sugar problem. That's not just an energy problem. When your blood sugar is falling rapidly, right, two hours after you've eaten, let's say a bagel... Right? That's an alarm sign, or it can be an alarm sign to your body. And your stress hormones, like cortisol and adrenaline, can also go up, and that can impact your mood. It's like, really? 
I'm like, yeah. So I drew it out for him. So he got it. Mm. He said, well, what can I do? I said, hey, well, then look, why don't I help you understand how you can stabilize your blood sugar throughout the day with a bit more sort of protein and healthy fat so he would take with him things like nuts with him to snack on. Right, and bit by bit, he's, you know, came back and said, I, this is, I'm starting to feel better. And then I didn't see him for ages. And I come into my surgery one day in my clinic, right? And there's a letter waiting for me. And it's his mother. And he said, dear Dr. Chatterjee, I, I just want to thank you. Devin is like a different boy. He is happy at school. He's engaging with his friends. He's, he's joining clubs at the weekends. I just want to thank you. And in that moment then, I just thought, you know, I know the science now of what went on there, but I didn't need to know it back then. I just thought, this is a 16-year-old boy, right, who could have been labeled with depression, right, at 16. Right, right. Who could have Given been medication. put on an antidepressant. And, you know, that was five years ago, at least, right? He would have still, he could have easily have been on that uh, medication. Mm-hmm. Still today, five years later, I know he's still doing well, right? And I'm not saying that works in every single case. Right. But... What I am trying to say is that, back to the original question, is why do I say disease is an illusion? We could have said, you have depression, right? That is just something you have got. And here's your treatment for it. And I'm saying for him, right, his lifestyle choices that he often didn't realize he was making, he didn't realize the impact, he's made some quick changes in his lifestyle, right? And he's transformed his health. So he you know, arguably no longer has depression, right? Right. Doesn't mean he can't slip back again in the future. And this is what I mean by disease as an illusion. I feel that's my job as a doctor. You know, I'm privileged to be able to tap into what's going on. And that boy, if there's a fork in the road, right, he could have gone down one path. Yeah. What does that do to your psyche if you know, oh, hey, I've got depression. That's why I'm like this. You know, there's nothing I can do, Right. And again, Just I'm being not, a victim of this. Yeah. I'd like to be a respectful and compassionate guy. You know, I'm not saying there aren't people out there who don't benefit from this stuff or from medication. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's too easy to say you've got something and give a pill. And I, I think 80% of the time, we don't need to do that. And, yeah. and on my show, I managed to make something like a condition like type 2 diabetes, in inverted commas, disappear after 30 days, right? My career not only requires me to travel, but also gives me the freedom to. Traveling has brought me so many positive experiences and memories. Like that time I spent the holidays at an Airbnb in Big Bear with some of my extended family, and it was the perfect way to come together and connect with my family that I don't see that often. If you have a similar setup that allows you to travel often, have you ever thought about your empty home while you're gone? More specifically, how you can make some extra money by keeping your home occupied while you're out of town. I'm a big advocate for setting up a side hustle to give you an extra stream of income and Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start. Many people host on Airbnb, including some friends of mine, but there are some people out there who've never even realized their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you've got yourself an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. 
Quaker has been a trusted name in breakfast for over 145 years, which is crazy to think about because that means they have been milling oats since before the invention of the zipper, the stop sign, and the ballpoint pen. And while clearly a lot of things have changed since 1877, some things have stayed the same, like the great taste and quality of Quaker oats. I mean, I think we all grew up with Quaker in our household. Quaker has something for everyone, like old-fashioned and quick oats, great for cooking and baking, or instant oatmeal in different flavors and varieties. One of my faves for a quick breakfast. And whether it's lower sugar or added protein or fiber, Quaker oats can satisfy the whole family. There's even Quaker fruit fusion with real fruit pieces, added vitamins, and no artificial colors for a bold start to a bold morning. Quaker, getting up to some good since 1877. Look for Quaker oats in your local grocery store. Isn't it obnoxious when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print or bills that seem to go up for no dang reason? Like when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying even more than you would have elsewhere? At Metro by T-Mobile, there's nada yada yada. That means no contracts, no price hikes, no surprises. They don't even want me to speed through the legal, so here it is. When they say no price hikes when you join, they mean your price will never increase for talk, text, and smartphone data plans. Their only exclusions are for limited time promos, per-use charges, and third-party services. I guess that really is nada yada yada. At Metro by T-Mobile. Nada yada yada. I helped a lady with fibromyalgia pains who'd been under doctors for 10 years be pain-free after six weeks, right? A 30-year history of back pain, yeah. gone. And, and an opiate and a sleeping pill addiction, or certainly a dependency. Pain reliever, yeah, yeah. Gone. Yeah. When we actually identify what's the root cause of this. and What's and, usually the root cause for most people? Is it an emotional attachment that they're holding on to? Is it what they're eating and their lifestyle choices? Is it trauma that they face that they're holding on to? What is it usually? Or do you see a pattern? It's a combination yeah. of things, right? I certainly would say that I think there is an emotional pattern in pretty much every case. You know, again, yeah, I, I really do. And I, again, this is... Any case of disease, essentially. No, sorry. I'm, I'm not saying in any case of disease. I'm saying in the sort of... Look, I think I need to really be clear. I'm talking about chronic disease as opposed to acute disease, right? So an acute problem like a pneumonia, uh -huh. right? Right? You've got a pneumonia, yeah. right? You've got- You gotta clear it up. Very simply, you've got the overgrowth of a bug in your lung, right? We identify that bug, or we give you a treatment, an antibiotic, that kills that bug, and then you don't have that anymore. disease anymore, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay, I get that, right? That's, that's an acute problem. So you still prescribe medication to things like that? Absolutely, yeah. right? But a chronic disease, so let's take, type 2 diabetes is so common and widespread. Let's just think about that for a minute. That happens when you pass an arbitrary point on a scale, right? So here in the US, your HbA1c, which is your average marker of, it's a blood test, which says your average blood sugar for the last three months, mm. right? If you're 6.5 or above, you, you, we say you've got type 2 diabetes. If you're 6 to 6.5, you have something called prediabetes. Wow. No, sorry, here it's 5.7, right? But the point is, right. if it's just below that at 5.6, we say you don't have anything. You're fine. You're fine. But you're not fine. This is a continuum. Very close. Yeah. Very close, right? And so what I'm just trying to get the point across is that something doesn't magically change when you go up 0.1 and you're now in, you know, 
pre-diabetes or whatever. Yeah, this has been building up for 10 years and I want us to be picking this up one year in saying, hey, look, you don't have pre-diabetes yet, but you're going to get it within a few years. Yeah. And my approach really, Lewis, is about four key areas of health, right? I find that what I do with most people comes down to what I call the four pillars of health. That's what I did on the show. That's why I outline in my book. Because I think when we can simplify health down, people get it. Right. Right. And I cover connection and I cover emotional health, but I do it under the umbrella of relax. Right. Relax. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, yeah. just to back up my four pillars That's of health. That's the first pillar. Relax. Yeah, and there's a reason I started with relax, because... When we are tight and stressed, that's when we cause dis-ease, right? Absolutely. The more tight we are for the longer amount of years, we build something up in the body that has symptoms, negative symptoms, right? Yeah, and can dictate our, our choices. If you're yeah. feeling stressed, you're not having any time to yourself, mm-hmm. right? You will find it harder to make healthy food choices. Yeah. You will find it harder to have the motivation to work out and get your body moving, you and when the brain is a roller coaster, yeah, you're causing disease, dysfunction in your body, right? Absolutely, and mm-hmm. you know, it's interesting. The the publisher first said, you know, we should start with food, and I said, no, no, no. I want to look. Everyone will expect me to start with food. Yeah, right. We undervalue relaxation, peace of mind. Yeah, we undervalue relaxation, and in, in, in society, we prioritize. You know, when we talk about health, everyone's talking about food and movement, right? Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong; they're important. But I give equal priority to food movement, sleep, yeah. and relaxation. And I think that's what makes my approach a little bit different is that I say, look, you don't need the perfect diet. You don't need the perfect workout regime, right? You need to do enough in each pillar. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what leads to the changes that not only work in two weeks, they're still going to be working in two months, in six months, in 12 months, in two years, you know, we can all go on a crash 10-day diet. Yeah. I feel better. All of us can do that. I could do that. Right. But will that change my behavior? I'm not so sure. Yeah. And as an athlete, you know, we always talk about being in the zone, being in the flow. And the only way to get in the flow is to be relaxed. Because if you're playing basketball or football and you're running tight like this intense, you're not going to be able to flow at any moment and move and be agile. So you must be able to be relaxed. Yeah. In order to achieve peak results in your sport. Yeah. So how I totally agree. It actually reminds me of a story that I talk about in, in the fourth chapter in Relax. It's, I say, we all need a daily practice of stillness. And I define what that is, right? And in that chapter, I talk about flow state and I talk about athletes. And I talk about Tiger Woods, actually. And I always remember as a kid growing up, I would just idolize that guy and think, God, he's just amazing what he's doing. And he's getting all kinds of people interested in the sport just for his brilliance at the time. And I remember a lot of people used to criticize him. And I remember an interview he said once, you know, on a Sunday on the back nine, I can't hear the crowds. I, 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 I don't know all that emotional commotion that's going on. I'm in the zone. He's in flow state, right? He is literally just in the moment and, and zoned in. But you know who else is in flow state? My five-year-old daughter or my seven-year-old son, when they're coloring a book, right, right, or playing, playing building pool. Lego blocks, yeah, yeah. they're in flow state, uh-huh. right? I could talk to them, and they're not being rude and ignoring me. They're just completely immersed in the moment, and we can learn from those kids. 
And right. that's the thing about technology, right? It takes us out. We start to get distracted. I love tech, right? Mm -hmm. The whole relaxed pillar, you know, a big feature of that is how do we use technology in a way that it empowers us and it helps us rather than enslaves us? Yeah. And I think for many of us, unfortunately, technology is like a... We're slaves. We're slaves to it. And it was a year and a half ago when I realized, I thought to myself, has there ever been a day in the last 15 years since I had my cell phone? I got my cell phone when I was 17. And I was like, have I ever had a day where I didn't have my cell phone on me? And I couldn't think of a moment, one day where I didn't have it on me. And I was like, that's kind of a crime. Like, I feel like that's a really bad sign that I'm addicted to something if I do it every single day for 15 years. Yeah. And it's, you know, I started sleeping with it right next to my head, on my, you know, next to my, at my desk or whatever, in my bed. And I was just like, and I was always checking it. And I was like, something's got to change. And that's when I took my first trip without it and I left it here. And it was so relaxing and relieving to, to not be chained to a technology. And then I did it again recently. And it was, again, another reminder, like, I want to do this at least once a year for a week. Yeah. And do these Sabbaths, like you talk about, one day a week. Even just going out to dinner without it and leaving it home, you know, yeah. like going to the movie and not taking it with you. Like whenever you go out one night a week, two nights a week, just leave it at home. And I feel like it's so freeing it's to just like fully a, connect. It's like a holiday. It's like you feel yeah. you feel like you've had a holiday, just <laughs> three hours without your, your phone. Yeah. It all comes down. And yeah. it, I think what's crazy for me, Lewis, is that in 2018, you know, we have to talk to people. I feel as a, as a medical doctor, I need to write 25% of my entire book on relaxation. Because I think if you go back 20 years, right? And again, maybe it's a romantic viewpoint of the world before, but let's say your standard family, right? People come home from work. You have dinner together. You have dinner together, right? And then after dinner, if you've got kids, you might put them to bed, right? If you don't, I think people would maybe go sit on the sofa and put the TV on, right? There wouldn't be the option of, can I keep working on my business? Can I catch up my work emails so my day is right. easier tomorrow. I don't, you, you didn't even have that opportunity. So I think relaxation almost, it would be there. It would naturally be, be there in the evenings. I think because we've got this amazing technology where we can literally talk to someone with a video 5,000 miles away, which is incredible, right? But it also means that if, we, if we're not careful, it's going to take over us. And I, I actually think with the generation now, we're going to, Technology, social media is pretty new. I don't know, how old is Facebook? 12? 12 years. 12 years, right? 12, I think. Okay. Think about something which, what, over 1 billion people on the planet have, or I can't remember the latest figure. 2 billion. 2 billion. 2 billion people. Right? It's just incredible. Crazy. Did not exist 12 years ago. Yeah. And so I think we actually need almost like, you know, we talk about something, you know, good sleep hygiene rules to help you sleep. I think we need good technology rules. Yeah. What are some good practices around technology that are going to help us? No one's getting rid of tech, nor should we get rid of tech. You know, it's here to stay. Create boundaries for yourself, yeah. Yeah, in the sleep portion of the book, one of my recommendations is uh, what I call a no-tech 90 before bed. You know, the whole idea, can you switch off all modern tech 90 minutes before bed. Even TV, or you mean? No, I don't include TV in that, and I explain why. Relax. Yeah, and also I think, you know, there's two factors with the technology. One is the blue light that we get from it. So one of our sleep hormones is called melatonin. We get that when it gets dark, right? Blue light, we only see in nature in the morning or maybe in the early afternoon. We don't see it in, in the evenings. 
But when you've got that phone next to your face, that is blue light. That is telling your body it's daytime. That's the sun. Time to wake up, yeah. right? But, you know, the TV is typically a lot further away from you than your phone. You know, our phones are like here, right? Aren't they? Yeah. And so I think TV is okay. But again, if you're going to watch a violent thriller before you go to bed, you know, you know, watch out. Watch out. Might have some bad dreams and some bad sleep. Yeah, so, so one factor is the blue light, but the other factor is that emotional commotion. Assuming, yeah, exactly. I had a patient recently. He's like a 42-year-old busy executive, right? He has had three and a half years sleep a night for about 25 years, right? He's tried everything, like literally everything. He's been to the sleep clinic. He's been investigated. He doesn't have a, what we call a primary sleep disorder. And here's the thing about sleep that I think a lot of the public and maybe a lot of my profession don't realize is that in my, you know, 17 years of experience of seeing patients, people who struggle with their sleep, the majority of them are doing something in their daily lifestyle, right, that they don't realize is affecting their ability to sleep at night. So it's not about giving them something to take. It's about right. identifying what's going on in their lifestyle. And this guy, three and a half hours sleep a night, I'm not kidding you, within five weeks, he was sleeping seven hours a night. Wow. Because food impacts your sleep. Absolutely. Right? Sugar. Sugar impacts your sleep. But he was like a complete workaholic. He would literally, after dinner, he'd be back on the computer. He felt he had to be on call till 10, 30, 11 o'clock. It's hard to slow down in that way. It's hard to slow down. Yeah. And he couldn't do a no at 90. So you know what? We started off with a no at 20. Yeah. Right? And he started to feel the benefits. And then he wanted to make the changes. Right? So this is the whole point about my approach with like Devin, that, that 16-year-old boy. I want to set the bar so low with people that they feel that they can do it. Then when you do that, you feel good. You feel motivated. You feel, yeah, yeah, I can do that. A prime example would be, I've got this thing called a five-minute kitchen workout in my, in my movement pillar. It, probably one of my favorite suggestions is the five-minute kitchen workout. And you know, where did this come from, right? This comes from this whole idea that a few years ago, I kind of realized that strength training, now I know you're an athlete, but strength training is very much undervalued, again, in society. You know, and, you know, once we hit 30, you know, we start losing muscle mass each year. And mm -hmm. our muscle mass is one of the biggest predictors of how well we're going to be as we age. Really? Yeah, absolutely. And some people call it the number one predictor of how well you're going to be is your muscle mass. It's, it's an, it's so a, it's important to build muscle mass. Yeah, particularly after the age of 30. So arguably, you know, we associate working out with teenagers and 20-somethings trying to look buff and good in the gym, right, and look good when they go out. Arguably, it's more important as you get older is to train your strength. What does it help with? It helps predict the longevity of your longevity life. Longevity and how well you're going to age. It's one of the strongest determinants. Because why? Because what's the reason why? Well, okay, so we think of muscle as dumb muscle, right? It's just that uh, if we were going to shift this table, right, and push it or lift it, we need our muscle. It just serves a mechanical function. In the last few years, we've realized muscle is probably the forgotten organ. It's an active organ. It regulates hormones in your body. It, sends, it burns fat, right? It burns fat. It sends out immune system messages called cytokines to other parts of the body, right? It's not just dumb muscle. It's, it helps with all kinds of things. And, you know, we neglect it. Wow. And as a doctor, and I think I used to give this advice to people. I say, you know, strength training is really important. You know, you've got to join a gym. They come back a few weeks later, I said, how are you getting on with that? 
ah, Doc, you know, I've not had time, you know, I can't afford the gym and work's too busy. And again, I never thought, Lewis, I never thought, you know, these guys aren't doing what I told them. I thought, okay, the advice I'm giving them is not resonating. It's not connecting with them in a way that they feel that they can do it. I've got to do a better job, right? So I thought in that moment, it was with a patient, I came up with this five-minute kitchen workout. Now look, there's plenty of other great workouts out there. I'm not claiming to have, if you've got another one you like doing, do it, right? This is not saying I've come up with some unique approach, right? Mm-hmm. But all my tools are to do with what I've seen work with people, with real people, with busy lives, busy jobs, busy families. So I, I would say, okay, look, there are these five exercises. I'd get my jacket off, right? I'd hit the deck and I would teach them how to do it. So like a press-up, for example, a press-up on the floor it's actually a pretty tricky exercise, right? It's a bit easier to do it on the desk, but I've got 70-year-old patients who can do it against the wall, right? Right? You can do it against the wall. So I would teach these people how to do these, like, five-minute kitchen workouts. And, you know, when people, if you say to someone, have you got 45 minutes three times a week to work out? They may say no, but then they don't go and do it. If I say, hey, have you got five minutes twice a week? Is that all you want, Doc? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. five minutes twice yeah. a week. So I start there. And recently, and I talk about this in the book, I got this uh, couple in their 60s who came to see me recently. I thought they would benefit, and they were skeptical. I'm telling you, they were really skeptical. But I didn't take no for an answer. I still had the jacket. I was still against the wall teaching them how to do it. And they said, all right, Doc, we'll give you a go. So they, they went home. And I gave them a follow-up in four weeks. And they came back and said, how are you guys getting on? Like, oh, my God, we love it. We're doing it. We started off in the kitchen and now they do it six times a week wow. upstairs, right? As their evening bath is running on their upstairs landing, they're knocking out this five-minute kitchen workout. And actually, often it's 10 minutes. Right. So from them doing zero strength training, they're now doing six times a week, 10 minutes upstairs, right? But I only said they had to do 10 minutes a week, right? Because they feel good. They start to get the benefits. And... I've got countless stories like that, but you can, anybody can do it, any ability level. But people like the gym. I love the gym, right? Great. But there's a lot of people out there that if we say you've got to go to a gym to stay fit, that's an obstacle. Yeah. Well, I'm just never going to get fit then. Never going to do it. So I'm all about... Simple ways to do it. Simple ways to do it. That's my whole approach, man. sounds like to me that there are two things that medical school does not do, that if they did, the world would be mostly healed or way better off. One is teaching doctors about nutrition and lifestyle and understanding about not treating the actual symptom, but actually treating the root cause of the actions that people are taking, the thoughts, the, the beliefs behind all this. And number two teaching doctors how to effectively understand and relate from their point of view and communicate, like you said, in a way so that they can start taking these actions. How come medical school, they're not teaching what arguably sounds like to me the two most important things to change people's health? Yeah, very, very good point. Obviously, there's two factors there. I think the first thing we've got to recognize is that these modern healthcare systems, obviously, look, I'm born and brought up in the UK, right? So that's my bias. But I don't, I've come out to America a lot, and I don't think it's dissimilar here. Mm-hmm. These healthcare systems were set up in a different era, right? They were set up in an era where what people went to see their doctor with was an acute problem. You'd go with a pneumonia. 
with a chest infection. Fix it. Fix it, right? So the whole system of these 10, 15-minute appointments, right, was set up in that era because modern medicine worked in that era. It responded well to that. You go in with your problem, you get your diagnosis, you get your pill for that ill, and you take it for seven days or whatever, and the problem goes, right? The problem is, is that the health landscape of the entire Western world, but arguably the whole world now, has changed dramatically, whereas the bulk of what we are seeing, right, is in some way related to our modern lifestyles. I don't think healthcare systems have kept up. I don't think medical school has kept up. And I think it's almost like we're trying to hold on to the way it's always been without recognizing, look outside that window. It is different out there, right? The world has changed. You know, even technology, we spoke a lot about technology. That's only, what, 15, 16 years old, or social media at 12 years old, let's say Facebook at least. Surely we need to understand these tools of how social media might impact our health. Yeah. We don't need to wait for the big 10-year study. We've lost a bit of common sense. You know, I feel I can make a statement like how to make disease disappear, right? It's a pretty bold statement, right? What I mean by that is, it's just to really try and challenge people's perception of what disease is. I get it, some diseases do need proper proper medical treatment. I don't dispute that, right? Mm -hmm. Modern medicine has given me 15 years with my father that I would not have got without life-saving modern medical treatment. So I'm all for modern medicine, but we shouldn't apply, you know, that works for acute disease. We shouldn't apply that same sledgehammer approach to these chronic diseases that actually have got lifestyle as a root cause. Mm -hmm. Last year, I was thinking, okay, I'm showing these great results with these families on television. You know, so in the UK, about 5 million people watch each show. And I kind of thought, well, if 1% of people who watch this make a change in their life, I've just affected 50,000 people. Mm -hmm. If 10% do, that's half a million people. And now that show's gone to 70 different countries around the world. I think, okay, this is great. But how do I really create change? I can keep talking about the lifestyle and nutrition thing about doctors, or I can do something about it. So I spent six months creating a new course, the very first course in the UK called Prescribing Lifestyle Medicine, Mm. that has been accredited by the Royal College of GPs. And I just ran that in January. That's cool. Yeah, we had nearly 200 docs attend. 95% of people said they would highly recommend it to their colleagues. So we're really, really pleased that we're actually now, because those 200 healthcare professionals and docs, they can go back into their world and they can help yeah. all their patients, right? And we weren't teaching them. And here's, here's the point that people miss, Lewis, right? It's not even about teaching in-depth nutrition, although I think that would be a good idea. We still have a position in society, whether warranted or not, people often come to check with their doctor. What's, what's the real deal here? Right. I think for many years, people would have been better off going to see a really good personal trainer or a really good nutritionist that come to see a medical doctor for something like type 2 diabetes. And I don't say that with any pride, right? I say that I've met some fantastic other healthcare professionals who've got really great knowledge that can help their patients. But if we don't know at least the broad base of this stuff, we're going to say, oh, no, that's not right. You know, you've got to take this medication, right? Mm-hmm. 
You know what feels good? Winning. And not just in sports. Like when your coffee's still warm once you reach your job site. Or when you finish a project days before the deadline and coming in under budget. That's claiming victory. You can even claim victory on your taxes by losing your current tax preparer and switching to H&R Block. And once you do, you'll start to feel like a tax champion. Because at Block, you'll have many ways to get your taxes done. You can walk in, make an appointment, or drop off your documents at a time that's convenient for you. You'll get 100% accuracy on your max refund or your money back. Plus, with their upfront transparent pricing, you'll know the price of your tax prep before you even get started. So make room on that trophy shelf and prepare to tax like a champion this tax season at H&R Block. Make an appointment at hrblock.com. Disclaimer, all tax situations are different. Not everyone gets a refund. Limitations apply. Description of benefits and details at hrblock.com slash guarantees. You can't always trust your gut. Like those times when it tells you to have that extra piece of cake or when it tells you to skip your morning routine and sleep in another hour. Probiotics can't help with most of your gut decisions, but if your gut needs a little support, Ritual has your back. They made a three-in-one supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Ritual invested in a study modeling the human colon, which showed their symbiotic plus significantly increased microbial diversity and the growth of beneficial bacteria. Rigorously tested and validated by a third party for allergens, microbes, and heavy metals, Ritual multivitamins are vegan, non-GMO, project-verified, gluten and major allergen-free, certified B Corp, and made traceable. Personally, I love Ritual's Symbiotic Plus because it keeps my gut feeling balanced and it's super convenient. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 20% off your first month for a limited time at Ritual dot com slash greatness start ritual or add symbiotic plus to your subscription today that's ritual.com slash greatness for 20 percent off so i think what we taught is a new framework how do you plot how do you see that patient with all their symptoms and then very quickly within a few minutes because ultimately that's where the healthcare system is at the moment right yeah i'd love if all doctors had an hour with their patient. But I also recognize that that's not gonna happen for a while. Yeah. So we've come up with this framework where within 10 minutes, right, people can come up with an understanding of what's going on and give them a lifestyle prescription. And it's based around these four pillars, actually, that I talk about in the book. It's, it's that simple that the idea is taking off. I could have made it six pillars, seven pillars, eight pillars. But I tried to, as I said, the whole social connection piece, the whole emotional health piece, I bring up under the whole relaxation piece, such as, Eat a meal round a table, one meal a day, in company if you can, round a table. And I go with through, no devices. With no devices. Yeah. Right. Sounds oh, this sounds like soft medicine. Hey, I'm telling you. <laughs> soft medicine works. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I didn't know until I did doctor in the house and I go with these families. That is not common. What was happening in probably every dining room in the UK, and I'm guessing around in the US 30, 40 years ago, now we have knocked out our dining rooms. Right, we don't have tables, we've got widescreen TVs, right? And one family, I, I, well, many families, but one family, right, I was with, they never sat down and ate together. I watched them eat their meals. Everyone's on their devices, you know, people around the living room, some people are watching TV, some people are on Facebook while eating. Just by saying, hey guys, once a day, do you think when you guys are together, you can maybe have no device and sit around together? They're like, yeah, sure, what's the big deal? I tell you, they, they, they told me like on screen, this is transformative. Wow. They start to connect. 
they start to connect with the people around them. Talk about the things that are upsetting them, talk about the things that they're yeah. proud of, yeah. have, a, have communication. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and then, just to go back to your second point about medical schools, right? So I think, yeah, we, our training needs to update to reflect the 21st century. I think we're stuck in the 20th century. I think we're applying 20th century thinking mm-hmm. to 21st century problems. But communication, we finish off that day with a role play. And I say, look, let's take Brian, for example, right? Brian's coming in. He's got a new diagnosis of type 2 diabetes. This can roll two ways, right? What tends to happen is now, you know, yeah, come in. Oh, hi, Brian, how you doing? Um, look, your blood results have come back. You've got a condition called type 2 diabetes now. You know, this going to increase your risk of a heart attack, of, of a stroke. Sometimes it could cause blindness as well. Some people end up on kidney dialysis. Don't worry, we've got some great medications that can help you, right? And we go through that. Then as Brian's walking out, hey, if you can lose a bit of weight as well, you know, that'd be really helpful, right? That's what's happening at the moment. Mm -hmm. Contrast that with, hey, Brian, come in. Hey, Brian, look, I've got some news for you, okay? You know those blood tests you did last week? Well, things have come up. Uh, Okay, what's happened, Doc? Well, you've got a condition called type 2 diabetes. Do you know what that is? Uh, is it something to do with blood sugar? So yeah, you're absolutely right. It's something to do with blood sugar. But let me explain to you what that is, right? This has been building up in your body for about 10 years, mm. right? This has not just happened overnight. Because yeah. yeah, yeah, my mom and dad's got it. Yeah, your dad's got it. Doesn't mean you're going to get it. Would you like me to explain to you what you might be able to do to certainly stop the progression and maybe start reversing this? Well, is there anything I can do, Doc? Yeah, yeah, there's plenty. Are you interested? Yeah, yeah, tell me. And so then I take these four pillars I outline in the book and we go through them and we go, okay, let's choose one place to start. Let's say the five-minute kitchen workout, for example, right? Look, I won't go to the whole thing, right, Lewis, but can you see the difference? Sure, yeah. Right? That person's going to go out on consultation one thinking, oh my God, I've got this problem, it's serious, uh, I've got the medication, and then, yeah, also an afterthought is I can do a bit with my own lifestyle, but the medication's going to help. But the medication, right? but the doc was talking about the medication first. So really, that's the in their head. It's like, yeah, I've got the medication now. That's going to sort me out. I'll keep doing what I'm doing, right? Right. But the second guy, Brian's going to go out a different way this time. and going to go, mm-hmm. wow, there's stuff that I can do about this, and he's going to help me. He's going to help show me what I can do about this. I know this sounds trivial, right? But this is generally what is happening out there, and. The, the next question, Lewis says, can you teach communication skills? I think you can to a certain degree. But I think instead of looking for straight A students in med school, I think we should be assessing is, has this person got empathy? Has this person got an ability to communicate? I think, honestly, the number one skill of any healthcare professional is not how much science and knowledge they know, is can they communicate? Yeah. Really if you can't that. communicate what you know, then it's kind of worthless. It's worthless. It doesn't matter how much you know up here if you can't make it relevant right. for the person in front of you. You can't get results. You can't get results. And you've got to use different language yeah. with different people. If they're living on a council estate or a high rise and they're on social service benefits or social security benefits, right? you may need to communicate these ideas in a different way with them than somebody who is the CEO of a big company and can afford a personal trainer three times a week, Yeah. right? Because they both deserve the right to good quality, healthy information. They both deserve the right to be healthy. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. Right? I feel really strongly about that. You know, we know if you live in a poor area, you have worse health outcomes. It's the same here as it is in the UK. Yeah. Right? And I, yeah, I want to try and change that. And I'm really proud that the recommendations I make on my show and the recommendations I make in this book, Lewis, that you've got in front of you, right? The majority of them are free. Yeah. Yeah. And health can be that simple. Yeah. Is there anything in your health that's lacking? Yeah. I think there's a certain irony of <laughs> of trying to go around the UK, trying to travel around the world to spread your message to empower as many people as possible to be the architects of their own health. Mm-hmm. But in the process, you often sacrifice your own health. Now, if we take this four-pillar approach, because I would love this four-pillar approach to take off. I'd love every person listening to this right now, Lewis, to think about their own health and go, which of these four pillars do I need the most work in? Yeah, relaxing, eating, moving, and sleeping. Yeah, because most of us intuitively know. I say start there. Pick one small thing and start there. If your diet is already good enough, you know what? Are you getting enough sleep then? Yeah, Yeah. don't stress about that little bit of sugar you have each week when you meet your friends. Right, your diet is probably good enough. You're going to get more bang for your buck by switching off your phone an hour before bed and getting more sleep. Yeah. Right? If I apply that to myself on the, that yeah. four-pillar approach, I'm struggling with relax. Really? At the moment, I'm really, I'm struggling to switch off. Yeah. I'm in the middle of. I've created this brand new course for doctors. I'm trying to run see my patients. I love my wife and my two young children. I want to spend time with them. I'm traveling around the world to promote this book that I genuinely believe. I know from the feedback in the UK that it is transforming the health of tens of thousands of people. You know, I'm getting that feedback, which is the most incredible thing. You know, These guys aren't having to go on my waiting list and come and see me in clinic. These guys can just read these tools, apply them, and change their so health. They're feeling better, yeah. They're feeling better, right? I've got yeah. people coming off medication and stuff, but if I apply it to myself, in fact, Lewis, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to commit to you. Yes. Right? Uh, what are you going to do with relax? I am going to commit to the daily practices of stillness, Okay. I'm going to make sure every small. I'm going to commit to five minutes of meditation a day for the next seven days. I'm going to tell. I'm going to shake your hand and say I'm going to do that. Like seven days. When was the last time you meditated? The last time I meditated was six weeks ago. Wow. Maybe and it's just a one-off. Five minutes a day. Five minutes a day. Seven days. Yeah. Feel free to meet me, Batman. Yeah, yeah. You can check in with me. (laughs) (laughs) But. Yeah, I think the reason I'm choosing that one is because that's one I struggle with. It'd be easy for me to talk about gratitude and use that one. But when I'm at home, I do that. I've got this little game that I play with my kids every night at the dinner table. Do you know Charles Poliquin, the strength coach? Have you heard of him? I've heard of him, I learned it from him, actually. He told me he does this with his daughter. And during our dinner, we go around the table and we have to say, what have I done today to make somebody else happy? What has somebody else done today to make me happy? And what have I learned today? And for I'm honest, I thought, oh, this is going to be really, really good for the kids. You know, it's really going to help yeah. them. This is pretty good for mom and dad as well, yeah, actually. Exactly. So it would be a cop out for me to say I'm going to do that one because I already do it. So uh, yeah. yeah, I'm going to try and do this and I'll let you know if I get on. Try. I am <laughs> going to do this. Five minutes a day. Five seven, minutes a day. Just seven days. Seven days. See how that feels. Yeah. What's the next thing for you? Are you moving enough? Are you doing strength training? Yeah, so I'm, I'm here in LA. Okay, I'm staying with a mutual friend of ours. Well, I went for a workout with him this morning, actually. That's good. I don't want to sound as though I 
I'm perfect. I'm not. You know, I've got a busy life like a lot of people. But my dad passed away just over almost five years ago to the day. That was, along with my son's illness, one of the most significant shifts in the way I think about things. And I do prioritize my health. So I'm pretty dialed in with my food most good. of the time, yeah. my movement. I kind of prioritize sleep. Yeah. So, but it was a long process. Yeah. Five years ago, we were having this interview. I wouldn't, I, would, I was struggling. So, yeah. you know, I think if I can commit to that, that will actually give me so many health benefits. I bet it would. Yeah. Are you, and you're doing digital detox at night or 20 minutes before bed or? Yeah, I'm pretty good at that. When I'm at home, it's always harder when you're traveling because of jet lag and this kind of thing. But I do switch off in the evenings. You know, I've got a slot, you know, come 8.30 or 9 o'clock. I'm out. You won't get me on my phone. You won't be able to, I won't be looking at emails. I'm winding down. I'm creating my bedtime routine. Yeah. Because I know that when I then sleep well, I perform much better. I'm a, I'm a calmer person. There's some people that talk about sleep and say, don't sleep. Sleep is for those who are weak and, you know, just stay up and work harder and to get results. But really, if you want to perform at a high level, you've got to be able to allow your body to recover, your mind, your muscles. And if you don't, you're going to be very deprived of energy. If you don't have energy every single day, you're not going to be able to perform. So that's why sleep has become more important for me. And I've been getting up at 5.30 a.m., I am not a morning person at all, but I started three weeks ago getting up at 5.30 to see what it'd be like to start conditioning myself to hopefully go to bed earlier because I was getting up earlier. Yeah. And I'm lifting and working out at 6 a.m. And it was hard the first week to break the habit of going to bed before midnight. I'm usually like a 12.30, 1 o'clock, 1.30, yeah. fall asleep type of guy. I've always been that way. It's just hard for me to fall asleep. But when you train really hard at 5.30, 6 a.m., you're tired at night. Yeah. And, and you move your body and you sweat and you're lifting and you're pushing your, your muscles, you are tired. At, and, you know, 10 o'clock rolls around and I'm like ready to pass out. And it feels so good to go to bed at 10.30 and wake up at 5.30 ready to go. This is how I shifted my pattern a few years ago. I would have told you back in my college days, right? I would tell I'm a night owl. Yeah. Yeah? I'm no longer. I feel sleepy at 9.30, but I get up at 5.30. Yeah. And that's my new pattern. And I, I tell you, in, in September last year, I was in Iceland lecturing at this medical conference with a guy from California called Dr. Sachinanda Panda. Mm -hmm. And he's done some incredible research. I think he's one of Time Magazine's top 50 scientists. And we went out for dinner. And I said to him, I said, you know, people talk about night owls and larks, but what happens really, you know, when we remove modern living, and we get out into nature. How did this work on an evolutionary level? He goes, it's interesting you say that, Rongan. He's like, when we take people out of the lab, we, put them, we take them camping, right? Away from their devices. So you're just back out in nature. Mm -hmm. Actually, this big thing of night owls and larks, it all gets compressed. Everyone's got roughly the same bedtime. Right. Maybe it's half an hour, 40 minutes different, but it's not this, maybe you can stay up or you could have stayed up till 12.30 because... You're growing your business. You're on your screen. The blue light. Drinking coffee or whatever. Drinking coffee, yeah. But once you take out the the kind of the lifestyle choices, actually, what is your natural bedtime? So I, True. as you say, it's hard at first, but you gotta you gotta give these things a chance to yeah. bed in and, and see. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. Whenever I used to go camping as a kid, I remember feeling that same way. But you're like, you know, you're making the fire. You're putting the logs together. You're like hiking, and then it's dark at six thirty or seven or whatever, and then. Around 10 o'clock, you know, it's like these stars are beautiful and everyone's starting to, to slow down. And you're like, yeah. Yeah, let me get my sleeping bag and fall asleep. 
You're not yeah. thinking of like, oh, I'm going to be up till 3 a.m. No, you're, you're tired. Yeah, exactly. You're in nature. You're not connected to your devices, like you said. Exactly. And I think, what, what does that mean? Because people might listen to this and go, yeah, that's great, but I don't live in nature, right? I don't camp. You know, I've, I'm busy. Yeah. I think what it means is, look, use nature. Use that evolutionary idea as your template. Mm-hmm. And try and figure out what is it that you can do to mimic that as much as possible. Yeah. Right? And you don't have to be perfect. You won't be perfect. It's too damn hard. Just do your best, yeah. Do your best. And, you know, the approach I take, you've got these four pillars, right? There's five suggestions in each one. Not prescriptions. I never, as a doctor, I never told anyone what to do, right? I think as a human being, you just got to empower them with information and give them a helping hand. But, like, for example, I never told a patient to give up sm- uh, that they, they need to give up smoking. And that might surprise you. And the, the reason is, is because... If I have explained, and I'm confident that they've understood me, that what smoking is doing to their body, but they turn around and say, hey, Doc, you know, I get it, but I get so much enjoyment out of it. I'm going to feel good. It's a good habit. I think, who am I as a human being? Well, what right do I have in that moment to say, no, you must give it up? That's the approach I've always taken. And I think that's one of the reasons I get good compliance with my patients is in this book, right, there's 20 chapters. Each chapter is a a possible solution. It's a suggestion I make. Nobody's going to do all 20, Mm. right? I say do a little bit in each one. Some people will do well if they just do two things in each one of those pillars. I'm not expecting perfection. It's not about the perfect diet, the perfect gym routine. You can that's keep, exhausting too. It's you exhausting. Have this perfect diet for years. It's, it's really it's hard to do. And it, you're going to stress yourself out yeah. by going out. You'll never be able to go out with your friends. It's always going to, you know. You'll create your own disease by doing that. Yeah, it's about balance across all four. The other thing is, if, if you don't like one of the suggestions I make, mm-hmm. don't do it. I don't want you to do them all. If that doesn't resonate with you, if you don't think, yeah, I can do that in my life, in my, mm. in my family setting, in the in context of my shift patterns at work, do you know what I say? Don't do it. Move on to another chapter. Find one that you want. Find one that jumps off the page to you. Right. And I think, I don't know, Lewis, you've had a lot of authors on this, right? I think that's what makes this approach a little bit different. It's like, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just trying to offer you real achievable solutions that I have seen work yeah. over the last 17 years. You talk about medicine being an art and a science, and this is part of that, I'm, I'm assuming, is like figuring out what works for you and taking on a few things and adding something else at a different stage of your life, it's, it's an art. I'm not a scientist. Yeah. People say, no, you're a doctor, you are a scientist. Like, hey, hold on a minute. I'm a doctor. My job is to try my best to help the person in front of me in as harmless a way as possible. No study in the published research tells me exactly what I do with that patient. It guides me, but it doesn't tell me. I'm not a slave to research And what I mean by that is, in my profession, we talk about evidence-based medicine. People misunderstand evidence-based medicine. Evidence-based medicine is the combination of three things. The research evidence, patient preference, and clinical expertise. It's where those three things meet in the middle. That's evidence-based medicine. Mm -hmm. If it was just research evidence, right? Right. You could teach a monkey to be a doctor. Just follow this protocol and everyone will get better. Uh You know what? We're more complex than that. There is an art in knowing how to apply the science that you know with that person in front of you, right? And that's why I'm passionate that medicine is art and science. Some people say that's controversial, right? I'm happy to stand head to head with anyone and go through that because I'm there in the trenches seeing patients 
And you know what? Research is great, but it's not everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's your biggest fear as a human? Not as a doctor, but as a human. My biggest fear is not being as good a dad as I want to be, the best. Mm. Honestly, it's the, the thing I think about is, am I being the best dad that I can to my children? Why do you think that? Because I think I've got, I'm on this mission to try and help as many people as possible. I'm, I travel a lot, I go around a lot at the country or travel internationally and lecture to get this message out there. And I think, am I spending enough time, like quality time with the children? Can I justify this because it's for the greater good? Does that negate me not spending enough time with my children? I'm, I'm probably really harsh on myself with that, Lewis, because yeah. I think I'm a good dad. You know, I certainly prioritize time with my kids. I'm very hands-on when I'm there. You know, I'm here in LA doing this with you. My kids are on vacation at the moment, so they're at home without daddy. Right. And it's probably my issue. It's my own personal baggage, I guess. Mm. I guess you probably might be expecting a different answer. I don't know where that came from, but you put me on the spot. That's what, that's what comes out, man. What do you think would make you the best dad you could possibly be? I think the first thing is, like when I'm here now with you, is to be present and be focused and actually not think about what's going on at home. Just go, no, I'm here. I'm spreading an important message. Be present with this. Don't feel guilty because it doesn't serve me being here. It doesn't serve them. But I think the thing which I'm really trying to do at the moment, Lewis, is when I am home, is spending quality time with them. And what I mean by that is time without my device. Mm -hmm. I'm making a conscious effort now to either switch my phone off or put it upstairs and actually be with the kids and do something with them and be present with them. Because I tell you, if you can do that for one hour a day, that is worth 10 hours being there with them when you're constantly distracted and you're not with them. It, it is amazing. It's incredible. And, and I remember reading in, um, I think it was in the Tim Ferriss book, Tools of Titans. I think he, there's a chapter with Seth Godin. Uh-huh. And he talks about this idea of spending two hours a day without a screen with your child. And he was pretty harsh in it. I think he said something like, you haven't got time for that. You know, you've got to really seriously question things. And I thought that was a bit of a harsh truth, actually. And um, again, I'm being harsh on myself, Lewis, right? Because I think I am a hands-on dad. I think I do spend quality time with them. But I've really shifted to make, keeping my devices away because I think I get distracted, like all of us, when the device is there. And hey, I tell you what, man, kids call you out on it. They know. Yeah. And, you know, my daughter. Get off your phone, dad. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, actually, sometimes I'm, I'm quite good at not going on it. I don't want them to see me going on it. But my daughter will say, Daddy, you're not listening to me. Mm. And hey, I tell you what, when you're being called out, and this is when she was four, when you're being called out by your four-year-old daughter, that hits you hard and you go, okay, all right, she's right. So um, yeah, I think phone-free time every day with your children, I think it's golden, man. Yeah, it's powerful. Mm. This is called the three truths, question I ask everyone at the end. So imagine this is your last day many years from now and you choose the day you want to leave this earth. It's your final day. You've done everything you want to do, but you have to take everything with you that you've created, all your books, all your work, all your messages. You have to take it with you as you go. But you get to write down on a piece of paper your final thoughts, 
your three truths, the biggest lessons that you want to leave behind to the world, to humanity, to your friends, these three truths that only thing people would have to remember you by is this. What would you say are your three truths? I mean, this is the sort of thing that would constantly change depending on your age. And you know, if I come back in five years, I'd probably yeah. say something different. But right here, right now, I said number one, treat every single person you meet with compassion and respect. I think number two, don't take yourself too seriously. I think the final one, probably reflects of our conversation, is don't mistake electronic transactional communication for real life meaningful human connection. Yeah. The electronic world is not the real world. And so prioritize real human connection. Mm, those are great, yeah. I want to acknowledge you for a moment for your evolution as a, a doctor because you went into this profession with a certain type of teaching and training that got you only so far, and then you decided that you wanted to learn more to help actually heal people from the inside out as opposed to just pres prescribing something for a temporary benefit. And your ability to, to be with people for weeks at a time and sacrifice to learn about lifestyle and different approach to humanity and the health of all of us is really inspiring. So I want to acknowledge you for constantly showing up and putting out things that Everyone can take on these simple ideas and start practicing. It doesn't matter how rich or poor you are or where you live in the world. We can all do certain things to help make disease disappear. So I want to acknowledge you for all that. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that, Lewis. And yeah. I just want to, you know, for, from me back to you, just I live five and a half thousand miles away from you. But, you know, I'm on the train to London often mm. listening to your podcast, the stuff that, the magic you're creating here mm -hmm. is traveling around the world and is having an impact on, you know, people all, all over. So I just want to thank you for that. It's incredible. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate you. If you guys haven't got the book yet, make sure to get the book. It's called How to Make Disease Disappear. Go check it out. You can get it right now online, bookstores, all the places that you can go. Where can they follow you online specifically or your website or social media? My website's uh, drchatterjee.com, but I'm, I'm spending a lot of time on Facebook and Instagram, which is at drchatterjee, D-R-C-H-A-T-T-E-R-J-E-E. -E. Okay. And Twitter is at drchatterjee.uk. But I think Instagram and Facebook is probably where I'm at, yeah. Okay, cool. At drchatterjee. Awesome. Let us know what you guys thought of this. Let us know the idea you liked the most from this episode and tweet Dr. Chatterjee and myself and let us know what you think. Final question for you is, what's your definition of greatness? I think my definition of greatness is, and it's probably a little bit to do with the three truths that I gave you, really. It's, there's over seven billion people on this planet, right? And everyone genuinely is equal or should be. So for me, someone who is truly great is somebody who treats every single person that they communicate with, that they connect with, with deep compassion and respect. That for me is what it is, truly means to be great. Mm. Mm. Dr. Chatterjee, thank you so much. Thanks, Chris. There you have it, my friends. If you gained some valuable wisdom today about how to reverse disease and reclaim your health with Dr. Chatterjee, make sure to share it with your friends, lewishouse.com slash 63. 
four. Take a screenshot on your phone right now. Post it on your Instagram story. Tag me on Instagram, at Lewis Howes. Post it on Twitter. We got the full video interview back at the show notes. It's going to be posted on my social media, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Feel free to reshare any of that stuff and let me know what you think. As well, leave us a review. If this is your first time here, click the subscribe button so you can get notified every time we have a new podcast come out. That's every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we release new powerful insights and episodes to help you unlock the greatness that's always been inside of you because it's always been there. Don't you ever forget it. And to reflect on this for a moment, guys, if you're not setting up the habits and routines to optimize your life, I mean, gamify your health, really. Just create a lifestyle eating plan. Don't go on different diets where you're constantly up and down. Just create a lifestyle change where this becomes the go-to that you have throughout your life. It's going to take some time. It might take a month or two or three months to figure it all out and figure out what works for you. And you may have to adjust things over time as you evolve in your body and in your lifestyle. But really set yourself up to win. You know, I'm getting up at 5.30 a.m., which I don't want to do. I want to sleep until noon if I could. Really, I love sleep. But going to bed earlier and getting up earlier has been a game changer for me. And it gets me started. It gets me knowing I completed something positive for my body and for my health in the morning early. That way, when 7 a.m. comes around, I've already completed something really challenging for my health. It makes me want to eat better throughout the day. It makes me want to go to bed earlier so I can sleep more. All these things add up and will help you in your life. So make sure to start doing these things to set yourself up to win. If you enjoyed this, again, share with your friends. As Jim Rohn said, take care of your body. It's the only place you have to live. I love you so very much, and you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. My son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. Price drop? Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. 
denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.